Hey everyone, welcome to the Revive West Des Moines podcast. I'm Jamie Richards, the Young Adult Minister at Hope West Des Moines. What you are about to hear is the live recording from Revive West Des Moines this past week. We hope you can connect with God and the good life that God has for you through what you hear in this message. Check it out. Can you join me in saying thank you to our worship band tonight? You guys are awesome. Thank you. Okay, well everybody, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, my name is Amanda Neppel, and I'm one of the pastors here at the West Des Moines campus, and uh, I do a couple of things. I do women's ministry uh, here, and I uh, lead the adult discipleship team, and um, tonight I teach at Revive, so this is really exciting. I haven't been, I was telling someone earlier, I think I taught once like seven ish years ago. I must have done a really bad job. I must have come a long way since then. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe I haven't. Time will tell, friends, won't it? Um, but uh, anyway, so it's great to be with you. I've done some stuff with Pastor Jerry. Maybe at a panel or something. Anyway, anywho, so tonight um, we are continuing on in the series that y'all are in, looking at the heart of hope. And I love this. I love this series where you're taking a look at the mission and the vision and the values here that we have at Lutheran Church of Hope. And I don't love it because I want you to learn all about hope and like be like, yay, hope. That's not what any of this is about. The mission and the vision and values of Lutheran Church of Hope. I'm honestly, they're not anything all that special. Like, they're not like... I don't know, it's not like Moses got the tablets and then gave us the mission, vision, values. That's not what this is. The mission, vision, and values of Lutheran Church of Hope are, they're, they're just pretty biblically based, pretty solid stuff, like our mission to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Cool, we're a church. That sounds like a really great mission, right? And then our vision, uh, powered by the Spirit to bring Christ to all cultures, uh, to revive the world with God's love and make heaven more crowded. Again, cool, we're a church. That's a good place to start, right? Um, But what I love about the mission and the vision and then the values that we're gonna talk about tonight, uh, the first value that we're gonna talk about tonight, what I love about it, uh, especially this this, uh, first core value that Jesus is life and the rest is details, these things come together and they give us a framework that then those of us who are making decisions at Hope about different things, those of us who interact with people at Hope, it gives us a a really cool framework to make decisions on so that when we're thinking about, okay, what's the right move to make here? Well, okay, does it help make heaven more crowded? Does it reach out to the world around us? Is, Is Jesus being glorified in this or is this a detail? And these types of, these, these frameworks that we have, they, they help us make good decisions. And then at the same time, then ideally in our, in our teaching and in all of you, like when you hear messages here at Revive or here uh, in, the, in the worship center on the weekends or if you come to the chapel service, whatever the case may be, right? Whatever messages that you hear, the idea is that you are becoming more like Jesus in that. You too want to reach out to the world and share the love of Jesus Christ. You too uh, want to help make heaven more crowded. You also want to lean into this truth that Jesus is life and to let all this other stuff that's vying for attention not become main things, just let them continue to be the things on the periphery that kind of fill in some of the, the details of life, but they aren't the main things 
of life. And some really powerful and incredible things happen when those of us who are a part of the family of hope here, those of us uh, who... Uh, who, who worship here, who serve here, who are um, here, but then go out into the communities and love people well in your places of work and, and in your places where you hang out and spend your time, then just naturally, people's lives get changed when they come in and, and they don't know Jesus, but they meet you. And you know how Jesus has changed your life. And so it just becomes this whole thing. Okay, I'm getting a little sidetracked here, but I want to kind of lay that out to you because here in a little... It, in a few minutes, that is absolutely what happened to me. Like, that is absolutely what happened to me. I came into Lutheran Church of Hope and got reintroduced to Jesus in a really powerful way. And I'm going to tell you about that. Um, but before I do that, I want to just kind of lay the framework for us. Because if we're going to say this audacious thing, and this is an audacious thing to say that Jesus, Jesus is life. That's not nothing to say that. I mean, because there's a lot of things that might seem like they are life, like our careers are really seem and can often be our life. Our relationships can be our life. The stuff that we need to survive and then we just accumulate because it's kind of cool, those things can pretty easily become life. So it is kind of a bold thing to say that actually while those things are fine and important, fine and important, yes, but not life. So if we're going to say that Jesus is life, we better be able to back that up. And we do that through scripture. And one of the ways that we back that up through scripture is through the Bible reading uh, that you heard tonight here in Luke chapter 14. And so I want us to kind of take a look at that passage here for a few minutes tonight as we get started. So uh, this, uh, this passage of Luke chapter 14, uh, beginning there in the, um, in the 16th verse, Jesus sets it up and he says, okay, I got a story for you, story time, everybody gather together. And Jesus says, um, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And he proceeds to tell this story of a man who prepared this feast, set out, sent out invitations, invited all the people who you would expect someone with enough wealth to throw a banquet. He invited all the people that you would expect to be invited to a fancy banquet. And because of the way things work in the first century in Jerusalem, in, in that area of the world, the word would get out about the party, but then when the party was time to start, then you'd have to send out an actual person to go say, hey, we're ready now. Isn't that bonkers to think about that, right? But that's what you would literally have to do is send somebody out and say, hey, the party's ready. So this is what happened. The person goes out and says, hey, the party is ready, but then all of a sudden, everybody has an excuse about why they can't come. And they were excuses that seem reasonable, I just got a field, I got to go check it out, right? Different things, they seem reasonable, but what these excuses actually do, and what's important in this parable, is these excuses actually reveal where the guests, the potential guests, these uh, excuses reveal where their priorities actually are. And their priorities are not the same as the person who is throwing the banquet. And so they say, no, we're not going to come to your banquet, we have these other things going on. 
Now, one of the really cool things about this parable, when you take it at the surface level, if you just read the literal words that Jesus says, every single one of us has an experience on both sides of this parable, don't we? Every single one of us has invited people to a party or you know, planned an event or planned a thing, and you go out of your way to make sure that it's gonna be really great and that it's gonna be exactly what people need and want uh, when the time comes for your party. So of course, they are going to be knocking down your door to come to your thing, right? Because you put a lot of effort into it. We've all been that person who then, when the time comes for people to actually show up, they don't, right? Or half as many people come as you hoped. Or we've been that person. We've all been that person. And we also have all been that person who, when we received an invitation, might have initially met with like lukewarm interest. But then, when the night comes or the time comes for the party, you're like, oh, man, Oh, my couch is calling my name. <laughs> and our priorities in that moment are not lined up with the person who's, who's, who's uh, created the party, who, plant, who invited us to the thing. And so we've all been that person trying to decide what we're going to do because what is our trying to decide which priority is going to win out in that moment? The relationship with that person who invited us to the thing or our relationship with our couch? Which one is going to win out? So we've all been on both sides of this parable. The thing is, Jesus, being Jesus, this is how Jesus was. Like, sometimes I think it would have been a little bit exhausting to be around Jesus, because Jesus would say something, and you'd be like, okay, for real, did you mean the thing that you said, or am I supposed to be able to figure out the thing behind the thing that you said, right? So Jesus has like this whole other meaning going on here to, to this parable and what he is saying. And it's gonna help us to understand a little bit of background. And for some of us, this is review. For some of this, I'm gonna, it, it's, it's, it's new, or and it might not make a whole lot of sense, but um, you can ask me about it later or whatever. But here's, here's what's helpful for us to understand. Jesus is speaking primarily to the Israelites. He's primarily speaking to the descendants of Abraham, the people who were uh, the Jewish people who lived in that area. And the Jewish people who lived in that area in that time, there was such a huge, such a strong cultural and historical identity that went along with being a Jewish person, a descendant of Abraham. And I don't know, I tried to think of an example that makes sense for us in our context, but I don't know if there is a way for us to really understand how important that was. So I just kind of need you to bear with me that if it was the first century and you lived in the Middle East, if you were a Jewish person, that was everything. And the center of their life was the temple in Jerusalem. And their entire identity, I would say probably 75, 80% of Jewish people at that time in, uh, in history probably lived within walking distance of Jerusalem. Now, walking distance at that time was also like 10 days. So that's different, okay? Uh, but, uh, but they lived within a fairly reasonable uh, amount of distance between you know, where they were and Jerusalem because, uh, especially during Passover, they wanted to be able to get to Jerusalem, to be able to get to the temple. And that was just a, it was everything to who they were. They understood themselves as God's chosen people because all the way back in Genesis, that's what God told Abraham his descendants would be. And God renewed that covenant uh, again 
and again, he renewed it most recently through King David and then through King Solomon, reminding the people that if they follow God's laws, uh, they would be... uh, they, they were being blessed as God's chosen people for the purpose of being a blessing to the nations around them. So this was their, all, their whole identity, and they believed that in their identity, they didn't actually have to do the things that God had asked them to do because they were going to be okay just based on who they were. So these are the people that Jesus is talking to. They believe they're good with God uh, just based on their ancestry, based on their, their cultural heritage. These are the people that Jesus is talking to. Um, so let's keep all that in mind then as we look at the next kind of level to this parable that Jesus is talking about. Now, you've probably figured this out by now, but the next level of meaning of this parable is the banquet is actually the kingdom of heaven. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> so, <laughs> so the banquet is actually the kingdom of heaven, right? The kingdom of heaven is simply where God is where God's presence is, God's goodness, God's love, God's care, where God is is the kingdom of he- is where the kingdom of heaven is and Jesus as God's son as the literal physical embodiment of the kingdom of heaven and Jesus is literally physically standing there right in front of them. And when Jesus is inviting them to follow him, When Jesus is inviting them to come and see what it is that he's up to, keep in mind, Jesus is uh, a Jewish man. He is a descendant of Abraham. He is absolutely an Israelite. He sat at the feet of rabbis and he was 12 years old and he amazed them with his insight into the law and into the scriptures, right? And now Jesus is all grown up and he's at this place where he's inviting specifically the religious leaders, specifically those who found their identity in their Israelite heritage. And he is inviting them to now understand that he is the Messiah, that he is the embodiment of the kingdom of heaven. And he's not asking them just to take his word for it. He is going around being the kingdom of heaven. He is healing people left and right. He is casting out demons all over the place, right? He is looking in the eyeballs of the people who are the cast-offs of society, and he is giving them value for probably the first time in their life, right? This is who Jesus is, and he's being met by the religious leaders, by those who are taking all of their identity on their Jewish heritage at this point in time, and he's getting rejection after rejection of why he isn't the guy, he can't be the Messiah that they're looking for. And they're saying things to him like, aren't you Joseph's kid? Aren't you the son of a carpenter? Like who the heck do you think you are, right? Or they're saying, (laughs) let me get this straight. You're God's son, you hang out with drunks and prostitutes and tax collectors. And you want us to believe that you're God's son. Right, so these are the excuses that they're coming at him with. In this parable, God is inviting people to the banquet. His kingdom, his goodness and his grace and his mercy. And God is starting with the exact people who would have expected an invitation. The Israelites, God's chosen people, right? 
But the people who expected to just be let into the banquet, they have let their priorities become completely out of whack. And they're falling back on their Jewishness to be enough to get them into the kingdom of heaven and not to actually let God have a a space or a voice of authority in their life. And God didn't just like wake up one day and get kind of pissed, that's what I said. God did not just wake up one day and get mad about this. Jesus' life. My words are just details. Okay. Um, <laughs> God did just not, didn't just wake up one day and think, I got to do something about this. Throughout history, God had been sending his prophets to say, wake up. You have been called to be God's blessing to the nations. God is blessing you. You are called to be a blessing to others. You are called to remember God's laws. You are called to remember who God is. And the people didn't listen to the prophets. And so God sent his own living son to embody who Jesus is, a living, breathing demonstration of the kingdom of heaven. And that isn't working for him either. The people who are meeting Jesus who think that they're okay, the people who are meeting Jesus who don't think they should have to accommodate God in their lives whatsoever are having all sorts of excuses about why they're not going to follow Jesus and, and, and join his banquet. It's the people who are completely on the outside, who hear this invitation, and now all of a sudden can't get to the banquet fast enough, right? The lame, the blind, the crippled. And so they start, think about this. The servant goes out and starts with those folks, the lame, the blind, and the crippled. And everybody who heard that would have heard those people who were outside of God's blessing. Because the belief was, if that was your station, you were outside of God's blessing. So that's what they hear. And then, so we bring in all of those folks, and then it gets even better. The people who are literally hiding from God, hiding behind the bushes, living in the shadows, He sends his servant out to go get those people and bring them into the banquet so that the banquet will be full. And the banquet ends up being full with the people who came just for no other reason than that they were willing to come. They were willing to humble, they they were already humbled and they were willing to let Jesus be life in their life. And so this whole statement that Jesus is life and the rest is details. The people who were invited to the banquet just and, and didn't come with their excuses, right? It's not that their excuses were bad. It's just that it revealed that their priorities were completely out of whack. And what I love about this parable is the things that Jesus says, or the, 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 the excuses that they have. <clears throat> the excuses that people have, they are d- intimately connected to the excuses that we still have today. Think about it. The first guy said, I just bought a field and I have to inspect it. This is about our job. This is about how we provide for ourselves and for our families. This guy was more worried. His bigger priority at that moment was taking care of his family and his job and, and being all of those things, right? That's, what, where, that's where he wanted to find life. That was his priority. The second guy says, I've just got five pairs of oxen and I need to try them out. Okay, five pairs of oxen is at least four and a half pairs too many of oxen. Like... <laughs> Literally nobody needs that many oxen. Uh, And even in Jesus' day, this guy was loaded. This guy was loaded. And he was more worried 
about keeping his, his, the things that he had acquired and acquiring more stuff. That's what he was trying to build a life on. And then the guy who says, I just got married, so I can't come. How many of us have tried to have another human being, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship relationship or whatever? How many of us have tried to have another human being fill the kind of emptiness and the hole that we kind of feel and have asked another human being to try to be that person for us? That's a pretty universal condition. Most of us have done that at one time or another. So these ways that Jesus brings up in, these, in this parable that the excuses that people had, these are excuses that we still have today uh, for why we don't let Jesus be the boss of our life, why we don't look to Jesus for our life, and why we kind of get tripped up in all these other things that we think are going to live us life, give us life, but it turns out they actually don't. Um, so, so I told you guys that when I uh, came to Hope, I experienced a community that was helped me get reintroduced to Jesus. That was a huge healing uh, place for me. Um, so, but I'll go back before that and just tell you that I was, I was raised in a family that went to church every Sunday um, from the time that I was born. <laughs> um, and then I get to be, uh, you know, 12, 13-ish years old. And there's just some, there's some things going on in the particular church that I was raised in. And um, so by the time I was 13, 14-ish, I wanted nothing to do with God. I wanted nothing to do with church. And I was the kind of kid, just a little bit sneaky. I never put up a fight about going to church because my theory the whole time was, is if I didn't like make any fuss about going to church, then I'd be able to fly under the radar on some of these other things that I really wanted to get away with. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you, it worked. It, it was not a bad strategy, right? Um, but so that's what I did. And then uh, by the time I get to college, there were a few things I took really seriously. I took having fun in college very seriously. I took avoiding trouble in college very seriously. I took my boyfriend in college very seriously. I took all of those things very seriously, right? And then I graduated and then I took my job really seriously. Like I was really good at what I did and I took very seriously um, uh, climbing the corporate ladder and being successful. And I was one of those people at that time in my life in my early 20s who was recognized for how good I was doing and I was very young in that position that I was in. And I took all of that very, very seriously. And I had a different boyfriend then and I took him very seriously as well. And then he took his career and climbing the ladder very seriously and working hard. He took all of that very, very seriously. We got married. We continued to take those things very seriously. We did not take God seriously at all, and we took Jesus even less seriously than that, but other things very seriously. And that's what everybody around us was doing too. Like, it seemed like a reasonable way to build a life. That's how everybody was building their life at that time, right? So, so then, I'm 25, and I have a daughter, and she's just about three months old, <clears throat> and then my husband says, yeah, I, I don't love you anymore, and I haven't for a while. And so, so that was not what I anticipated. That was not going to fit into kind of how I thought things were going to go, right? And this is an absolute Holy Spirit thing. <clears throat> but the realization that I was given at that time was, 
but I had taken a lot of things very seriously. And I had worked very hard, very hard, at building a life. But it was actually completely incongruent with the things that I had learned going to church every Sunday before I stopped paying attention. And that was absolutely a Holy Spirit uh, gift in that space. <clears throat> going back to the parable, at some point as a teenager, I pretty much said to God, I don't think your banquet looks any fun at all. No, thank you. And then at 25, I found myself as somebody who did not think that they were worthy of ever being invited to the banquet. I was broke financially. I was broke. I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to pay my mortgage, right? I didn't have family around to help. I've got this infant daughter, and I don't even know how to be a mom. I don't know how to be a divorced mom. I don't know how to be any of those things, right? <clears throat> I didn't think that I deserved the banquet. Like, I really felt like I'd had my chance at the banquet. I'd had the invitation, and I set it on fire, right? So then um, a friend who didn't even go to Hope <laughs> told me that, hey, there's this big church out there, and at that time, you guys, Mills Civic was a gravel road, and E.P. True stopped at 60th Street, okay? <laughs> Swear to God, good luck finding this place. But anyway, Ashworth existed, you could, or you could take the gravel, for real. Um, so anyway, um, so I went to this divorce care class, and I was the youngest person by many, many years. So there was that, right? Um, but that was where I started to get reintroduced to Jesus at that divorce care class. And then through that, found a couple of uh, people to help support and give me enough courage then to make my way to church. And so I made my way here to worship on the weekend and I, I walk in uh, with, my, with my baby daughter and it's just me. And in the church that I grew up in, this would have been the cause for much chitter chatter. So I was looking for trouble. You guys, I was looking for trouble. But here in this community, where decisions get filtered by this framework that says who we are is, we reach out to the world around us and we share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. I didn't know any of this then. But this community then has the framework of being powered by the Spirit to bring that spirit to anybody who needs it. Why? To make heaven more crowded. And this community that had as its foundation this truth that Jesus is life. Jesus is life. All this other stuff, less important. Jesus is life. And so this community that I began to get connected to and began to learn their stories and then began to find out that so many of them had something in common with me whereby they had run as fast as they could away from Jesus only to find out that Jesus will kick your butt in a foot race any day of the week. And by the time you actually get to the end of your rope, Jesus is gonna be there waiting for you because Jesus gives life. That's who Jesus is. So <clears throat> that started a complete 
new way of being in the world for me, right? I got connected with the people uh, who could give me good advice to help me dig out of this place that I was in, right? More importantly than any of that, I got connected with the people who began to open my eyes and my heart to who Jesus was, and I was able to experience him in a way that, that I hadn't before, in a way that gave life, not in a way that wanted to take it, but in a way that gave life. What happened to me here at Lutheran Church of Hope is nothing short of a series of miracles over and over and over again, but I want you to hear something. There's absolutely nothing unique or special about that because miracles is what Jesus does. Jesus is in the business of giving life where it makes absolutely no sense, where it seems like it, it, there's just no way that Jesus can do that. That's exactly where Jesus shows up and gives life. Jesus, through this place of Lutheran Church of Hope, gave me this little taste of the banquet. And now, <laughs> now I just won't leave. Now I'm here all the time. Right? So listen, what I want more than anything else in my whole life, what I want more than anything else in my whole life is to be able to introduce people to the host of this party. <laughs> because you can have reservations, <laughs> you can have reservations or misgivings about whether you really want to go to the party. And I totally get that because I hate to tell you this, but some of the people who are going to be at the party are annoying. <laughs> and kind of weird. <laughs> but once, but once you meet the host, once you meet the person who is throwing this party and get to know him just a little bit, once you get to know him just a little bit, you won't want to leave either. So allowing Jesus to, to get into your life and get into this space where, where you agree that Jesus is life and the rest is details and you want to lean into that and live into that. It doesn't have to be that dramatic. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that hard. It doesn't have to be this whole like rock bottom thing. It might be, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. And I want you to understand something else. What I want to spend my last couple of minutes on here is the reality that when we let Jesus be our life, there are things that we will give up, but there are incredible benefits to letting Jesus be life. So unapologetically, what I wanna spend the rest of our time on is, um, is the benefits that, that will come from allowing Jesus to be life. Now, it's not like we're gonna wake up tomorrow and be like, woohoo, and every single one of these things is going to be true for us. This is a process. And as we go along, Jesus becomes more of our life. And then we discover that more of our things, more of these things are true. The things I'm gonna talk about also, for the record, completely not an exhaustive list just the things that I thought were like, if I was hearing this for the first time, if someone were trying to make a case for me of why I would want to let Jesus be everything in my life, these are the things that I thought I would want to know about, okay? So you can add more to your list. And I hope that maybe as you um, think about this, if you talk about this with one another later, that you talk about the other benefits. I think that would be a wonderful way uh, to spend some discussion time. Okay, the first benefit of letting Jesus be life and the rest be details. The good times are better and the bad times aren't as bad. Romans 12, 15 says, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. When we're celebrating, 
Isn't it always more fun to celebrate with somebody else? When I get good news, I'm like busting out of my office to see who I can interrupt and tell them the good news, right? (laughs) Jamie's like, I know, I wish she would stop. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And the bad times are less bad because you have someone to share that with, right? Um, Psalm 23, four, I'm just gonna skip down to that one. Uh, The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. Uh, Verse four says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Jesus is with us when we walk through the worst of the worst. As we get to know Jesus better, as we get to understand the life that Jesus came to give us, as we continue to walk with him, one of the things that we discover the longer we get to know Jesus is that Jesus is intimately familiar with suffering. He's intimately familiar with physical suffering. He's intimately familiar with our emotional and mental suffering. Um, Some of the most powerful verses that that come, have come to me recently are the ones where Jesus is praying in the garden right before he's going to be arrested. And those verses tell us, you can read it in a couple of different gospels, but each one of us tells us that Jesus' soul was crushed with grief to the point of death. Now, I personally am more comfortable with the Jesus who set his face to Jerusalem. But if I'm in a bad spot, I think it's pretty helpful to know that Jesus too knows what it's like to have his soul crushed with grief to the point of death. Jesus is with us in that space. Jesus doesn't abandon us in that space, which is why the good times are better. Also, the good times are better because you know who gets credit for those good times. When before Jesus... Okay, before Jesus and good stuff happens to us, we're like, woo, lucky me, I should go buy a lottery ticket, whatever the case may be, right? Like, woo, having a great day. After Jesus, oh, I can't even believe that God would give me this blessing. Who am I that God would bless me with this? Right, and then you have this opportunity to go back and say, Lord, thank you. And then you get this deepening of this relationship between yourself and God. It makes the good times that much better. Okay, next one. Jesus is a judgment-free zone. Now, I should have put an asterisk on this because there is one notable exception. (laughs) And that is people who are judgy. (laughs) Jesus is a judgment-free zone unless you are a person who is judgy. So in this parable, right, it was the people who were like, why are you hanging out with the drunks? Why are you hanging out with those people? This is, not, this is not what we do. This is not who we are. And Jesus is like, mm, you know what? You're not even get to come to my banquet right now. I don't want you to get too carried away with that. Don't take it too literally. It is a parable after all, right? If those people want to repent, then they are more than welcome to come to the banquet, okay? So let's just leave that there. I'm done with that. Jesus is a judgment-free zone. John chapter three, verse 17. Let's back up to 16, which says, for God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not die, but would have eternal life. That is a mashup of NLT, NRSB. I don't even know, but you get the gist, right? King James, I don't know. Anyway, you get the gist. 317 says, 
For the son did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus is a judgment-free zone. John chapter 8, in that passage there, 1 to 11, is when the woman uh, who was caught in adultery, adultery, apparently by herself, gets dragged out before Jesus. And they're like, the law says we should stone her, throw stones at her until she's dead. And Jesus says, cool, those of you, (laughs) those of you that are without sin, go ahead and get warmed up. And then everybody leaves, right? And then Jesus says, so where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. And he says, yeah, I don't accuse you either. And he says, go and sin no more. Now, some of us hear that and think that Jesus was still, you know, being a little judgy, telling her not to sin anymore. But the thing is this, Jesus is life. Jesus said he came to give life and give it to the full. Nobody gets out of an affair and says, that was the best decision I ever made. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Jesus is speaking life to her. When he says, go and sin no more, he's like, stop doing this thing that's killing you. Stop doing this thing that's hurting you. Uh, Romans chapter eight, verse one. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. When you know Jesus, no one can condemn you. This is why we see people again and again and again coming to the feet of Jesus, having this experience then of being reminded who they are, of how loved they are. People don't come to the feet of Jesus and have an experience of feeling judged. They come to the feet of Jesus and they have an experience of being forgiven. They have an experience of being looked in the eye by the Son of God who knows every single thing about them and what Jesus wants for them most for any single one of us is to find our life in him because he came to give it. Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. In him, the good times are better and the bad times are less bad. In him, we can be truly and fully, finally, who we are. There is no condemnation for any single one of us in Christ Jesus. This is why when you meet people who know Jesus, when you meet people who have been walking with him for a little bit, these are going to be the most non-judgy, but also, what am I trying to say? The most non-anxious people. Their, their spirit, it's not that they, right. Their spirit is not anxious. You can drop any single bomb on them And they're going to take it in stride. And they're going to know that no matter what, you cannot separate yourself from the love that Jesus has for you because they know that Jesus is a judgment-free zone. Last one. In Jesus, there is always enough. In Jesus, there is always enough. Here's what I want to say about that. The world will tell you that anything good is scarce. The world will tell you that anything you need, there is a finite amount of it. And so you have to scramble to get what is yours or what you need for success or what you're going to need to let everybody know how great your life is going. The world will tell you that anything valuable, there is not enough of it. In Jesus, all of the things that we actually need, Jesus never runs out. And when we 
let Jesus be life and let everything else be details. Jesus wants to make sure that we also never run out of these things that give life, that hope. Isaiah 40, 31 says that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will fly on wings like eagles, right? There will always be enough hope where Jesus is found. There is always enough peace. One of the very last things that Jesus ever said to his disciples before he was arrested, I gotta go. I'm leaving you with my peace. And it's a peace that the world cannot take away. Jesus wants to give you his peace. There is always more of it. Joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength, is what Nehemiah says. The joy of the Lord is my strength. <clears throat> when we set our thoughts on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, there's gratitude, there's hope, there's peace, and there's joy. That the thing that we're looking in all these other places to find life, they're never gonna be able to solve the problem of death. But God has done that for us. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Faith, faith is the assurance of things that we hope for. Right? It is, it is our, our assurance, assurance of things unseen. There is always more faith in Jesus. When we feel like we don't have enough, we ask Jesus, we say, Holy Spirit, give me more faith, right? And we are given, our faith is strengthened just when we ask for it. There is always enough. And finally, there is always enough love because that's who God is. God is love. Those verses in John, one right after another in Jesus' final uh, discourse uh, with the disciples before he was arrested, he said, you've seen how I love you, now go and love the world and one another the way I have loved you. That's what both of those verses say. When Jesus had only a few words and few hours left before he was arrested, he chose to say, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus doesn't give us a commandment and then not give us a way to see it through. In Jesus, when Jesus is our life, when we're allowing Jesus to give us life, there is always enough love. There is enough love for us to be reminded of who we are and how much God loves us. And there is enough love for us to go out into the world then and to share that everlasting love of Jesus Christ with one another, powered by the Spirit, given exactly what we need because there is always enough of what we actually truly need. So powered by the Spirit, we get to go out and be His hands and feet and be His church and bring life to a world that so desperately needs it. You know somebody who's broken. I guarantee you, you know somebody who's broken. You know somebody who doesn't think that they have any business coming to the banquet. Maybe you've been that person, I don't know. There is always enough of these things, hope, peace, joy, faith, and love that, that people need to know is for them. They don't beat anybody over the head with anything. You just invite. You just be who God created you to be. You just lead with these things that you receive because Jesus is life and Jesus gives life. Amen? All right, let's stand and we'll sing. Thanks for listening, everyone. Revive West Des Moines happens every Thursday night at Hope in West Des Moines, and we'd love to connect with you on social media. So find us and let us know where you're listening from. And whenever you're in town, we would love to have you come to Revive and join us live. Peace out, Scouts.